0: up with this weather, huh? It feels like Vallejo, right? It feels like Northern California. I thought we left it, right? <laughs> well, we needed it because of the drought, right? All right. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we come before your word. We ask for your blessing. God, your words are ring clear. I pray that my voice would be clear, that what you have to teach us is uh, clear. I pray that your spirit would take your own word, and pierce our hearts with it. It is called the sword of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's sword. And so we pray, Father, that we would be pierced, our lives would be changed. Father, even as we were singing that song, um, Arise, my soul, shake off your guilty fears. If we know Christ and if we've placed our faith in Christ, those fears should be shaken off. They should not be Changing the way we live as we cower. We should not be cowering. Thinking you're going to slam us the next turn. Uh, We have received of your favor, of your love, of your kindness. and We pray, Father, that that would be the theme that would encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when, I think I told this story before I was an undergrad, I think. I was a freshman at UC Santa Barbara, and I was taking, I just wanted to see what other people thought. So I was taking uh, Western religions, and uh, there was a big, big time religious studies professor. I could remember him. Uh, the class was just filled. It was probably I don't know, 300, 400 people in the class. And it was one of the classes you took as a prereq as, to, as you're matriculating on through, right, as you keep going through. And I remember I was talking about this issue. Uh, what we're going to be talking about of uh, justification by faith alone. Okay? Justification by faith alone. That is that uh, because of faith, when God sees you, He declares you righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of the work of of, uh, of the work of Jesus on the cross and all that He's done as a righteous in His righteous life. And so as I was talking to him, I remember we were talking and I, um, he said he, he loved the scriptures. He said he studied the scriptures. He said he knew the Greek in the New Testament. And he studied some Hebrew for the Old Testament. And I said, well, are you a Christian? And he said, well, no, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, why not? You see what the text says. You see what the Bible says. And he said, I just, and I could see him sweating. And this guy was in his 60s. He started to sweat as me, this low-life freshman was asking him these questions, right? He said, "I, I just can't believe that all you have to do is believe. And I looked at him and I said, that's what the text says. He goes, I know that's what the text says. The plain reading of the text says that. But he says, but there's got to be something more. I've got to do something. I know I've got to do something. You know, and sadly, I never knew if he ever did turn to Christ. But sadly, at that moment, this guy who had his PhD in, in um, the New Testament went through all through seminary. Went through, uh, he went through this uh, seminary that didn't teach that Christ was the only way to salvation, right? Who Who was a teacher of over 400 students who had pull and influence. This lowly freshman was asking him, are you saved? And he could not say if he was saved. And I said, I know I'm saved. And it's not because of me. It's because of Christ." And I don't have to worry, or I don't have to fidget, and I don't have to guess at the end of the day what's going to happen. I know that my Savior is tied to me, and I'm tied to him. And that's what this text is talking about. If you notice in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's a famous verse. We always go here, especially when we're sharing the gospel. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God Not as a result of works that no one should boast. We know that as we are going down through this series of Ephesians chapter 2. We know that uh, this has been broken down. uh, That God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would live a Christ glorifying life to its fullest. That's why God gave this whole passage. We remember in verses 4 and 5. Just as a by way of review, as we're kind of trekking down this chapter, verses 4 and 5, uh, we said that you should walk righteously because God resurrected you. You remember that. Walk righteously because God resurrected you, verses 4 and 5. Remember, it says here, he made us alive. And so this theology of regeneration ought to impact how you live. If Christ has indeed changed your heart, you will live as someone whose heart has been changed. Secondly, or just by way of review, we said focus heavenward because God raised you and that is the doctrine of glorification. That we would not get stuck in the doldrums of this world. The monotony of this world. The routine of this world. Or maybe we would have false views of ourselves. False views of the way we look at ourselves. That... Uh, maybe we are lesser in the kingdom of God. God doesn't say that. He says you are raised up with him, seated with him. What does it say? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But this third one, this third one is so important. Even Martin Luther, the, ref- the great uh, reformer, he said that justification by faith, and this is what the doctrine is teaching, is the article by which the church stands or falls. And I think he's right. I think he's right. So the third point, verses 8 and 9, we can say trust confidently. If you're following, there's some notes. If you want some notes in the back, it says trust confidently because God rescued you. Trust confidently because God rescued rescued you and here verses 8 and 9 this is the doctrine of justification now um, on your notes there's a chart there Uh, you remember we've been working off of this chart look at this chart here and um, I think it's a good visual for the order of salvation remember it says here we start off in election that God chose us before the foundation of the world that's in Ephesians chapter 1 then the gospel call came out and we remember we're talking about regeneration as the gospel call comes out As you hear the gospel as a child, as an adult, as a college student, someone is sharing the gospel that is the word of God to you and the story of Christ and how he died on the cross for your sins. What happens is as you hear that, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you. When you are regenerated, you have faith. And when you have faith, God looks upon your faith. And this is the basis of of his salvation. And this is what we're going to talk about today. He looks upon your faith and he declares you not guilty. He declares you completely righteous. They are legal forensic terms, right? Here, look at verses um, 8 and 9 again. He says, In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And so the whole heart of this sentence and the whole heart of verses 8 and 9 is you have been saved. You have been saved. Uh, The meaning simply for saved here, we usually take it for granted. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? We take it for granted sometimes. The word there for saved means to preserve from harm to rescue, to deliver. And here, clearly, it's from judgment. We see it from verse 2. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the the form of the verb, I'm just going to give you this grammar. Please forgive me. I'm going to give you grammar. Okay, you got to know a little bit of grammar. The form of the verb is in the perfect passive. And the reason why this matters is because the perfect in the Greek, what that means is it's a past event With ongoing results. Okay. So it happened in the past in your life. You were saved. There was a moment in time where this transaction has taken place. There's a moment in time where you had faith. It could have been in your bedroom. For me, it was in my bedroom, right? It could have been in, uh, while listening to a sermon, it could have been, I was talking to this guy uh, yesterday from England, he said, someone shared the gospel at Vacation Bible Church, and I was young, and I heard the gospel, and I don't know what day, but it was then I had faith in Christ. It was a past experience that has ongoing results, ongoing results. And then it's in the passive voice. What that means simply, brothers and sisters, is that God did the action to you. I know that sounds very simple. Uh, Let me give you an example, okay? Instead of uh, me saying, I hit the ball, that's a very active voice. I hit it, okay? If I were to say the ball was hit by Angelo, you would understand the ball had no action in and of itself. The actor on it, the agent was me, okay? And so what God is saying is, salvation is of me. You understand? You don't save yourself, okay? If I'm drowning and I don't know how to swim, I don't say, give me something so I can save myself. I say, save me. I need help, right? So God uh, did this action upon you, he saved you. He acted upon you and rescued you from judgment. Now, the word, of course, here in verse uh, verses eight and nine, the word justification isn't in the text, but we know that it's clearly. The doctrine of justification, it still teaches the idea and we can go to different verses. Um, notice he says here, verses 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Simply and very clearly this is what justification by faith is. And Paul teaches this elsewhere. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Notice he says here in verse 9, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is saying, Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of my surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish. Paul had an accomplished life. He says, They're but rubbish. The so word there for rubbish, if you if you know, is the same word for dung. Street garbage. He says, All that I've accomplished in comparison to knowing Christ is dung. He says, Count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And then he says here, verse 9, And may be found in him. Here is the essence of justification. Not having, what? A righteousness of my own derived from the law. He says, I didn't become righteous by simply obeying. But he says, but that which is through, what? What does it say? Faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. So what he's saying here is I have this foreign righteousness that, I don't, that came outside of me. This foreign righteousness that is counted upon me. We know that without justification you deserve judgment. Uh, I'll just read this. You could write this down. If you're following John 3, 36, he says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Present tense, he's saying that those who do not have Christ, who do not have faith in Christ, the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. He says, much more than, why don't you go there, Romans chapter 5 verse 9. We have a lot of text to look at this morning. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, he says very clearly, much more than having now been, it says here, he uses the term now, justified. You're justified by works? No. You're justified by how good you are? No. He's justified by the accomplishments in life? No. Justified by your intentions? No. No. He says you're justified by verse 9 his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God and there he connects it your justification gives you the basis gives you the freedom from the wrath of God that is upon you okay it's not on what you do it's not on uh it's not on the good works or how many times you've been to church it doesn't matter that, it doesn't matter about that now go back to um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice he says, You have been saved. This is Jesus' whole mission. You could also write these verses down as I, I, I give them to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 Jesus says, Expressly, this is why he came. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. He didn't come to bring morality. He didn't come to change public policy. He didn't come to tout a political party. He came to save sinners. And that's the mission of the church. That's the mission that we should carry on. He also said that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now, let's talk about justification. The word is not there, but it teaches the same concept. It's salvation not based on what man does, but rather on what Christ has done. And here's a working definition you could use for justification, okay? Justification is God's declaration upon you that you have a righteous standing before him. God looks upon your faith in Christ and accounts you the righteousness of the life and work of Christ. And Christ takes on your sin and accounts himself as a sinner deserving your punishment, which he did on the cross. I'll say that again. That's a long definition. I'm trying to shorten it. Justification is God's declaration upon you that you have a righteous standing before him. God looks upon your faith in Christ and accounts you the righteousness of the life and work of Christ. And Christ takes on your sin and accounts himself. As a sinner deserving your punishment. Look at Romans chapter 3, major verse on it. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. He continues in this theme in Romans chapter 3. I'll start in verse 19. He already indicted all of mankind, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world. And so he says in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because, and here he says this because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And what he says is that age-old belief of what the world thinks is not true. You go down the street and you ask them, well, if you were to die tonight, where are you going, heaven or hell? And they invariably, well, occasionally some people will say, I'm going to hell and I know it, right? But most of the time people will say, I'm going to heaven. And you ask them, what is the basis what is the justification? I dare you. Go ask people. Go ahead. Ask them. Why do you think you're going to heaven? And they usually say this. What? What do they say? Well, I didn't kill anybody. Or I'm not as bad as that person. Or I didn't do this much. Or I didn't do that. And what the Bible is saying is no works of the law by works of the law, no flesh here, in the context here, no flesh, that means all of mankind. He uses that word as mankind. He says, no matter what you do, because you cannot do the law perfectly, okay? Jesus said, I, I, Jesus said, thou shalt not commit adultery, and then Jesus went on top of that, and he said, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. I'm undone, right? You say, if you... Hate your brother. He also said you should not commit murder. But even if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. If you've uh, James says also that if you are if you've failed in one point of the law, you've failed them all. Okay, and that's the reason why you are not justified by works of the law. You cannot accomplish perfection. You cannot do it right. And that's why he says no flesh will be justified in his sight. Verse 21, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. He repeats this theme. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, verse 24, this is exactly Ephesians kind of language. Paul repeats this doctrine, and he says what? Being justified, declared righteous, as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, how is this tied? Redemption is a market term that means that Christ had to pay a price. Usually, this word redemption is used on the slave market. He paid the price for a slave, he paid the redemption price which is in Christ Jesus. Well, what was that redemption price, Jesus? He says in verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation that is an atoning sacrifice that is a satisfying, satisfying the wrath of God, right? In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. In other words, this gift of righteousness that God, as he looks upon you, even though it is free to you, it was costly. This free gift of salvation, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, on the market, especially when you buy stuff. when I'm looking on Amazon and it's kind of cheap, I go, man, it might not be worth that much, right? It might not be worth that much, right? This is not what the Bible is saying about the blood of Christ. It's absolutely free to you, right? But it was eternally costly. Why? Because of the value of the person who gave the blood. The value of the person. God himself in the flesh, Coming down to man to die for your sins. Now. Christ takes away the sin that condemns us. Christ provides the righteousness that we lack. Now. Let's go back to Ephesians. Because now I want to look at the four rock solid aspects of, of your justification. Okay. Four rock solid aspects of your justification. What's amazing is, God never wastes his breath. Do you understand? When he teaches through his word, when God teaches through his word, it's never simply so that your mind can be puffed up with knowledge. Oh, that's a good theological fact. fact, I'm going to put on my shelf and then leave it there. God's justification of you in Christ was given so that you would live radically different. So that you would live, as even at that song we were singing, without fears shackling you. Without guilt shackling you. God does not want you to live a cowardly, scared, lack of confidence kind of lifestyle. He wants you to live a very powerful life, Powerful, not in yourself, but a powerful life based on the finished work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It colors everything, brothers and sisters. The gospel colors everything. It colors the way you think. It colors the way you lie to yourself. As you lie to yourself, you've got to tell yourself about the truth of the gospel every morning. Have you guys learned? Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Have you learned that? You gotta shake yourself sometimes and preach the gospel. God, I know I'm a lousy, I'm a lousy scoundrel. I should have been thrown into hell forever and ever. But your your son died on the cross for my sins, and it says I am saved. Perfect tense. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No amens. Is this not good news? Amen. Amen. So, four rock-solid aspects of your justification. Why is it rock-solid? What are reasons that you can be confident? This is rock-solid. First, your justification was motivated by God's heart. It's motivated by God's heart. He says this little phrase, for what? For by grace. Let's not skip over that because grace is said so many times in Ephesians, right? Grace. Simple definition, unmerited favor, we know that. But look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. They were dead in their sins. Notice we, verse 3, formerly lived in our lusts. Look at verse 3, it says, by nature, children of wrath. So I think very clearly in context, you could say that grace is unmerited favor to a people who deserve hell grace is unmerited favor to a people who deserve hell. It is not simply just his kindness. Uh, It is not simply just his kindness, but it is his kindness to a people who deserve everlasting punishment. See, this is in the character of God himself. Why are you sitting here? Why are you saved? Why do you know Jesus Christ? It is but by the grace of God. In Psalm 119, it says that this is his character. The earth is full of thy loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. You remember when Moses was uh, in Exodus and he says, God, I want to see your glory. Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. And he says, no, if you see my glory, you'll be killed. He says, show me your glory. And then God says, okay, go into the cleft of the rock. You remember, go into the cleft of the rock and I will pass over. And as he pass over, right? In front of him and proclaim, he says, the Lord, the Lord God, this is his characteristic. This is one of his attributes. This is what characterizes God. This is his predisposition, predisposition, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Loving kindness is the, is the. The chesed, the Hebrew word for grace in the New Testament. What brought about your salvation? Where did it, where was it motivated out of? It was motivated out of the very heart of God Himself. He's kind. He's gracious. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way God is not gracious to me because Christ died for me. Christ died for me because God is gracious to me. You get that? It's based on the very heart of God, not yours. We love because he first loved. What is it? We love because he first loved us. This love is not some nebulous, hazy, undefined, ambiguous fog of warm feelings. It is concrete, rock solid, steadfast, immovable, is grace to you, believer. Amen. Oh man, this, this gives me strength and this gives me confidence when relationships fail me. You know? When you have a friend betray you. when you have does that happen? It absolutely does. When people who say they're going to come through, they don't come through, I know that God has grace for me. Amen? Amen. Secondly, what's another rock-solid aspect of your justification? What's another rock-solid aspect? Your justification, number two, is united by God's bond. Okay? Your justification is united by God's bond. And he says, look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. And then he has this phrase right after. It says what? Through faith, or by instrumentation, by way of faith. Through faith, connected by faith. Faith is not just belief, okay, in the text, in the New Testament. Faith, sometimes we say, well, that means just believe in Christ. That just believe in Christ. When it comes over to the English, sometimes we have a a low viewing view of what this means. Kind of like, I believe the chargers are going to stay in San Diego kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's not really based on fact. Maybe it's just your opinion. Maybe it's your heart or something like that, right? Uh, it's just feelings that may flee. Faith is a believing trust. Okay. It is a believing trust. Faith is not a work. What God does is as you are regenerated, you're born again, you reach out to Christ in faith, okay? You have new eyes. Your heart is quickened. You reach out to Christ in faith. And now that you have faith, God the Father looks upon that faith, okay? And he says, you have the faith in my son. I will take his righteousness, put it on you, and that's how I look at you. Your sins, I will put it on my son on the cross, okay? And so, here's the amazing, amazing fact. When Christ looks at you, Andre and Manny and whoever believes in Christ, right? When God the Father looks at you, he doesn't look at a, uh, a better version of Andre. Do you understand? He doesn't look at super Andre now. Well, now this Andre is a super Andre, and of course he should be admitted into heaven. No, he doesn't look at you like that. Why? Because that's not how justification works, right? That's not what he's taught in the scriptures. He looks upon Andre, okay? He sees that he has faith, and he looks at the righteous life and the death of Christ himself, the purity and the holiness and the merit that Christ earned on the cross, right? Right? And he says that same merit, that same holiness, that same righteousness of Christ himself is what I count on Andre. You see, so when he looks at you, he looks at you as the very righteousness of Christ himself. Look at Romans chapter four. This faith is not a work. Okay. It's not a work. You don't earn this. It is a heart response to what God has done. Okay. In Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. And I'll prove to you it's not a work. Okay. Some people say, well, you have to work it. No, no, it's not a work. Ephesians. I mean, excuse me. Romans chapter four. I'm going to start in verse one. Notice he says here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh of found?" For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And he's talking about the same theme here. If, in fact, justification before God being declared righteous is by something that we do, then Abraham's got it. Okay? Abraham's got it. But he doesn't. For what does the scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis. Okay? Abraham believed. You notice here. Okay? Abraham believed God. What does it say? And it was credited to him as righteous. So he looked, God the Father, look at Abraham. And Abraham saw and believed in the promises of God and believed that the Messiah was coming through his seed, right? And as he looked on Abraham, he said, that faith is what's going to connect you to the righteousness of my son. Notice he says here, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. So he uses a very common, common metaphor. He says, if you do a job, you get paid. Did you know when you get your paycheck? You shouldn't say thank you, actually. That's what he's saying. Okay? Why? Because you're getting what you earned. You say thank you because you're a nice guy or a nice gal, right? But what he's saying is, when you do a job, you get paid. And he's saying here, if you are justified by grace, right? Or, or excuse me, if you are justified by works of the law, then you don't need to even say thank you. Right? But he says that's not even the case. He says, in opposite of that, he says, but to the one who does not work. Okay, this this is exactly the definition of faith. The one who what? Does not work. You don't work for your salvation. Does not work. But believes in him who who justifies the ungodly. His faith is what? Credited as righteousness. I remember I was teaching. I was teaching this Bible study one time. And I had one of my relatives who just lived. I mean, he just lived hard. He's just a gambler, womanizer. Lived hard. I loved him. I uh, I shared Christ with him all the time. He was in our Bible study and one of, uh, one of the gals, she's a Christian, but I think she's got the gospel mixed up. I believe she's a Christian, but I think she's got this very, very important part of the gospel mixed up. Okay? And my uh, relative, who really just lived like the devil, I mean, off the charts, Okay, he said, well then Angelo, how is anyone saved? And I said, It is simply by faith in Christ. That is it, alone. He goes, that's it? I said, yes, it is not work. And brothers and sisters, as much as we believe that the gospel changes lives, you got it, and it sanctifies lives, as much as we believe that, we cannot, on the other hand, release the tension that the gospel is absolutely free. It is free. Amen. And if someone truly does believe in the gospel, their life will definitely change. Right? It it follows. Okay? But I remember my uh it was my aunt, and she was saying, No, 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 don't tell him that. He's gonna just believe in the gospel and live any way he wants. And I said uh, and I, I and I said I said, but I can't change the gospel. The Bible says it's free. You don't work for it. Amen? And this is why, this is exactly why for folks who who get upset at you when when I say, when they say, you mean to tell me that a, a serial murderer before he goes to the electric chair, if he puts his faith in Christ and has faith only in Jesus Christ, you mean to tell me that he's going to be saved? I said, if he places his faith in Christ, solely in the gospel, solely in the finished work of Christ, yes, he is saved. What? You mean to tell me that Mother Teresa, okay, who served her life in India, gave her life all for orphans, but did not believe, did you know this? She did not believe in the gospel. She believed in a universalism, that everyone was going to heaven. She did not have faith in Christ. Alone. You mean to tell me that Mother Teresa who gave her life for orphans and spent her life doing good but because she is an imperfect sinner and does not have the blood of Christ on her when she dies that she is going to hell? Yes. That is the gospel. And that's why, brothers and sisters, your only hope is in the gospel. Your only hope is in justification by faith alone. You could never do enough. And that's why the, the, the words on the cross by the thief, when he says, remember me in heaven, Jesus says, oh, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't do a thing, guys. He didn't serve in church. He wasn't here every day playing bass, right? Right? He didn't go through baptism class, church membership class. What do you mean? Jesus, how can you say that? Because he places his faith in me and that's all you need. Oh, that gives me confidence. Does it give you confidence? Does it give you confidence? Why are you blaming yourself when you sin? It's your fault. Repent. Confess. Turn back to him. That's it. Why are you accusing yourself? God's not. It's over. Amen? Shake off your guilty fears. Thank you for that song, Andre. Right on, man. Right on. Amen. So, your justification was motivated by God's heart. Your justification is united by God's bond. Okay? This is his bond. It has to be faith. Here's another reason. It has to be faith. Why? Because it has to be a dependent attitude. Do you understand? It cannot be any other device. It has to be a dependent attitude on what God has already done. It is, a, a, it is an offense to God when people deny Christ and reject Christ. Why? Because his perfect work is offered to you freely, and you say, that's not enough. I'm going to do it myself. That's why religious people are an offense to him. That's why uh, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and hypocrites and Pharisees. Over and over. That's why he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because you are rejecting the very work and the essence and the person of Christ himself. He offers it to you freely, and you spit upon it, and you say, That's not enough. My filthy rags are better. It has to be a lowly, grasping upon Christ faith thirdly thirdly in four rock solid aspects of your justification number one your justification was motivated by God's heart right your justification is united by God's bond through faith okay Um, I got to share one verse with you go with me to uh, Galatians I think I think Andre shared this verse I think God wants you to get this. He says it over three times in one verse, okay? Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Okay, let's count how many times he says. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. That's one, right? Even if we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified by faith. That's two. In Christ. And not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Right? That's three. He states it three times. Right? You're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by faith. Not by works of the law, by faith. Why do you think he says it that many times? Because it, it's dull in our minds. And even as you grow as a Christian, you've got to keep preaching this to yourself. Why? This is what happens. And sometimes you go to, you go to churches and this is exactly what happens. You believe in the grace of God. Uh, Grace of the gospel. You have faith in Christ. But then for some reason, after that, the way maybe the church preaches or maybe the manipulation that comes out, that they say, well, now you have to live your life of works. The gospel is free. Your salvation is free. But now you got to do this. And you have to look like this. And you have to smell like this. And you have to be like this. You understand? And then the life becomes not this life free in the gospel. Obedience because of gratefulness to Christ. Now it's obedience because unless I do this, people will judge me. Unless I do this, now that person's looking at me. Unless I do this, now I have this burden I have to carry. When Christ has already said, I don't want you to carry that. I don't want you to live like that. I want you to live free in the grace that I offer. Amen. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now. The third. Rock solid aspect of your justification. Is that your justification was provided. By God's generosity. And he says here. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That word there simply means. He. Brought it about himself to give it to you. What is the gift? This is interesting. He says, that not of yourselves, it. And if you have a a Bible that has it italicized, that means the word there was supplied for the English for us to understand. But what is the word it? I believe the word there, it, or what it's describing, is all of the above. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. And I could prove that to you if you, uh, um, let me read to you that grace is a gift. We already went there, but in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, faith is a gift. Yes, even your faith is a response, but even that is a gift. Notice in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. famous verse Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 he says here for to you it has been granted the same verb is given okay for you it has been given what for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer and what uh, what Paul is saying here is this belief that you have it's the same word for faith the belief that you have in Christ is the same word for faith faith. Now, lastly, what is this rock solid aspect of your justification? It was motivated by God's heart. It was united by God's bond, provided by God's generosity, but also your justification was accomplished by God's effort. Notice he says here, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And the classic text Second Corinthians chapter five. Go with me to Second Corinthians. It's the classic text. Second Corinthians chapter five. And here's here's another very powerful verse on what justification is, okay? This idea of what justification by faith alone means. Second Corinthians chapter five, twenty one. So he says here, he made him, God the Father, made him, who is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. That is, he had no consciousness of sin in the sense of he never experienced it. He never did it. He never committed it. You could prove that from Hebrews very easily. He, had, he was without sin. So he's saying he made him, who knew no sin, that is Christ, to be what? Sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And here is exactly what, this is what a Luther calls the glorious exchange. And it is glorious. It is glorious. Okay? Here it is. Uh, the righteousness that Christ has, and our sin, he says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So he takes our sin, he places it on Christ, and he takes his righteousness, and places it on him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. It is amazing. It is the heart of the gospel. We cannot get this wrong. Amen. This is it. This is it. So when someone says it is arrogant to say you're saved, you know, sometimes when they when I say, "Yeah, I know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven." They go, "You're arrogant." You are so arrogant. How do you know? I already know that because of the because of their line of questioning, right, that at the root of it is their misunderstanding of the gospel. I already know that. Why? Because they really think that I earn it. And they really think that how could you know if you've earned it? You only know at the end of the time. You know, usually people's worldview is, If you do enough good deeds, it should balance out the bad deeds. And by that time, you should probably be good enough. But you're never really sure until the end. You know what? I don't want to live like that. That's not how Christ wants you to live. Do you remember in 1 John? What does it say? These things are written so that you may what? What's it say? What? So that you only want to wake Uncle Jose so that you may what? No! That's what? That? Yes, so that you know that you have what? Eternal life. I mean, you notice First John says this. These things I've written so that you may, doesn't say guess, doesn't say figure out or worry, so that you may what? No. He wants you to live like that. Confident in him. It's not an arrogant thing because it's not on you. Amen. 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 But see, there's some application of this because you know it's not yourself. It's someone else who did it. It removes, one of the biggest things that it does is it removes a guilty conscience. Ah! Removes a guilty conscience. It removes a guilty conscience caused by other people first. Do you remember when uh, Paul said this? What shall we say then to these things in Romans 8? You don't have to turn. I'll just read it. Okay. If God is for us, who is against us? Amen. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Who will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Oh, this is sweet news. This is sweet news. Who can, who can call you condemned? Who's going to bring a charge against you? If you're going to judge me by my own person, it's absolutely true. I'm a foul sinner who deserves hell. But it, God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand, who also intercedes for us. So number one, Your guilty conscience that may be caused by others is put away. Why? Because no one can bring a charge against you. Why? Because the ultimate judge is satisfied. Secondly, it can free you from a guilty conscience from the devil himself. From the devil himself. Um, Let me read you. uh, Revelation chapter 12. You could write this down. Verses 10 and 11. It says. Now the salvation and the power. And the kingdom of our God. And authority of his. Christ has come. For the accuser. Notice he's the accuser of our brethren. He says. Look God. Look at your people. They keep sinning against you. The accuser of the brethren. Has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. Notice, the accuser stands there prosecuting you all day long, all night long. Jesus is the interceder who ever lives to intercede for you. Do you understand? And then in verse 11, it says, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They did not love their life even to death. What brings them in a right standing with the judge? Of the universe, it is the blood of Christ. But I think this one, I think this one is uh, very poignant. Is what clears you from a guilty conscience of yourself. You ever beat up yourself? You mess up. You sin. You snap at your kids. You snap at your wife. Your wife snaps at you, or wives, you snap at your husband. You think evil thoughts. Bitter thoughts. You do s- sinful things. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at this. Here is the life application of justification by faith. Okay, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. He's using the same language. He paid it. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more? Now he's saying this is what happens. The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. What does it say? Cleanse your? Cleanse your what? Conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Brothers and sisters, you're never, ever, never, ever to be in this pot, s- spot where you say, God, I won't get your blessing unless I do this, unless I do this, unless I do this. Okay. I won't be saved unless I do this, unless I do this. Christ, because of his sacrificial blood on the cross, has given us ample freedom to live with a clear conscience. Why are you beating, why are you beating yourself up? If you're truly a a child of God, why are you beating yourself up? I could also say that it destroys superstitions and traditions. We can talk about that later. But let me close with uh, a story in Luke chapter 7. Let me close this. In Luke chapter 7. If you remember in Luke chapter 7. starting in verse 34. The Jews started saying, uh, uh, the ruling Jews at that time said, the son of man, verse 34, has become eating and drinking. Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. Spending time with those they did not seem, uh, they did not deem worthy. In verse 36, he says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him and enter the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Okay, She had a reputation as a sinner. She was probably a loose, promiscuous woman. Okay? She learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. Now imagine, she knows she's a sinner. The town knows she, she, she's a sinner. She knows that when she comes in front of this religious leader, this religious leader is going to start with daggers in his eyes. What is this sinner doing here? What is this filthy sinner doing here? Right? She learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing her, his feet and anointing them with the perfume. You know, what's, what's amazing is throughout this whole story, Jesus never says, stop that. Don't do that. Because he's worthy of worship. Do you understand? He receives it. Okay. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he would say, if this were a man, was a prophet, he would know who this is and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Implications, how could he let a filthy sinner touch him? Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. A moneylender had two debtors, one 500 denarii, the other 50, and they were unable to repay. He graciously forgave them both. So which one of them would, will love more? Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he turned and says, you have judged correctly, using a metaphor. And then he turns towards the woman. You see this woman? I entered her house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint me, my head, with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Oh, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to to themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And he says, Jesus says, same storyline that Paul was teaching on. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You think you sinned high to heaven? You think you got piles of sin that Christ can't erase He takes your sin and throws it in the ocean. Amen? And you can be confident. We are that woman. You are that woman. He came to save the sick and the lost. Simply believe in him. Oh, young person, if you don't know Christ, your parents love him. I pray you would love him. You can't earn it. You can't be saved because of your parents' belief in Christ. That doesn't save you. You could only believe by putting your faith in Him. Would you put your faith in Him today? Would you go home and put your faith in Him and tell us about it? If you're playing games or playing church, quit playing church. Go home. Get on your face. Ask Christ to save you. And don't get up until He does. He'll wash you of your sins. If you're saved, don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let yourself lie to you that you're guilty, uh, that you're guilty and you, you can't get up and serve him anymore. You are saved. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you. We can know for sure you give us assurance of salvation Because of the finished work of Christ. Thank you that no one in heaven. No one in hell can blame us. It's done. The purchase is complete. Our redemption is made sure. If God is for us. Who can be against us? God we pray. May we live as free people jubilant, exploding with happiness. Encourage us with salvation, we pray. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.